Uh, welcome back to the Spinner Rack here at the Marvel New Universe Comics Podcast. Uh, we're your hosts, Stephen and and Andy, with our special guest, Mike Rockwitz. So yeah, so for the last few months, months we've been looking at New Universe books from Marvel Comics, and uh, at at this time we're recording the issue tens. Um, but of course, this week we're not going to talk about any of those comic books. Uh, we have a special treat: an interview with someone who worked there at the time. Uh, so, uh, correct me if I get any of this wrong. So I worked in Marvel editorial, maybe 1987 to 95 or so. Uh, you are close. Uh, I started there in 1985 as a high school intern in oh, right. February of 85. And then I worked my way up the editorial ranks. So in 86, I was in college. I came on board. And I started working on the new, the new universe. That was one of my first gigs. Was the new universe titles, and uh, as someone who was super excited to be like, "Wow, I'm working for Marvel!" You know, like the House of Ideas. You know, anyone who's has a pulse and read Marvel had subscriptions to them. Like it, it was my dream to always work there. And then I was like an intern, getting coffee for the bullpen. And then one day, uh, I was opening fan mail. And then that guy, Mike Higgins, he was the original mm -hmm. editor. Well, he was the second editor of the New Universe. I'll, I'll give you a little bit more of the backstory. He's like, uh, I need an assistant. And we, we were we were friends. They were like partying together. Um, and um, I was like, yeah, absolutely. Like, I didn't know what the job entailed. I had no idea. You know, I just thought it'd be cool to get a job, get a gig. And um, yeah. so I was like, so what are we going to be working on? Uh, we're going to work on the New Universe. I was like, the new what? You know, you know, it was sort of like the the brunt of jokes in the office um, because, you know, a backstory was that Jim Shooter at that point, you know, this is not to demonize or, you know, talk smack about him. A lot of creative talent had left Marvel or was planning on leaving Marvel because, you know, I, you might have heard he was a bit overbearing at times. And if you hadn't, let me tell you that a lot of creative talent would say that he was overbearing. Yeah. Um, you know, he had a, he was heavy handed in some areas and a lot of a lot of the artists and writers and creative types didn't want that. You know, they were like, well, you know, we've been doing it right this time. But now you want to tell us to do things in six panel grids and we have to have foregrounds, middle grounds and backgrounds. Like, uh. And um, he'd get all annoyed. He's very overbearing and people didn't like working with him. So they left. Mm -hmm. Lo and behold. Let, it's a perfect time to launch a brand new line of comic books was to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Marvel Comics. Like, let's open up uh, a whole new line with the world outside your window. And as Jim would say, it's going to be real buildings with real bricks and real pipes and real stories. And it's like, you know, comics are escapism. I think that's why we're trying to get away from the whole real world. But, you know, let's see what they've got going. And... Um, <clears throat> There was another another editorial team working on it. Elliot Brown and John Morelli. They were the original editor and assistant editor on this. And they had been working on the development of these characters. So there's, there's like a lot of um, unused logos and maybe unused like character sketches floating around. I think Josh, shout out to Josh Deck on the on the Facebook page has posted and, and Mark as well, like logos for Nightmask. Yeah, I, I think some of those showed up in like the Marvel Age magazine. Like, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Starbrand and um, Starbrand, I think, had three or four versions of the first cover, you know, and right. um, and Justice, 
<laughs> don't even get me started with Javistus, but and then um so working there, like Elliot and Jack just didn't couldn't muster up whatever they whatever Jim wanted because Jim wanted complete control over this. Excuse me, my cat is designed to hold on, I have to squirt my cat, but anyway, I have two cats. Yeah, we so, usually uh, have kids bothering us, but <laughs> yeah, the cat's trying to open up my closet door here in the office room. So anyway, I digress. Um they they were pulled off the titles and Mike Higgins, who was like an old time like bullpenner and grateful deadhead and stoner, was mm-hmm. promoted editor, editor, and um he needed me. And there was sort of like half finished books and some plots. So it was really a freaking mess. Yeah. It was just a mess. And the deadline was coming because there was a lot of hype. You know, like you had that one house ad, the new universe is coming, and it was like the lightning bolt hitting the the planet and you know, and yeah, we even we've made a version of that for our logo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A digit, yeah, that pixelated one I saw, and um, there was even like a a knockoff, not brand Eck kind of magazine that spoofed all of these uh, mag, uh, all of these characters like Justice and Nightmask. I don't know if anyone's ever seen it, but it was pretty funny. And, mm-hmm. and I, I've Jim, seen a reference to it online, but yeah, yeah, I don't know if I could even find. It. I forgot the name of it, but it was hysterical because it just like completely blew it up. And you know, I, like when you're working on them, you, you try and take pride in your work. I was a young kid; I was really excited to be there, and um, I wanted to help these things grow. Like I'm on the ground floor of something great, a new yeah, universe. Right? You know, I, I I bought into the hype, you know, because I was, I was a kid. You know, I'm dumb, but you know, uh, <laughs> reading the stories, I was sort of like. I don't know if there's much substance here. You know, Starbrand was basically Jim's fantasy about himself, and Javistus was just sort of like a, a poor man's Terminator. And you know, DP Seven was kind of cool. Mark was a great, great writer, and I think most people would would say that you know, DP Seven was the uh, best title out of the lot. I yeah. didn't work on that one with issue one, um, so I worked on Javistus, Javistus Starbrand, Nightmask. And Kicker's Inc., which I adoringly mm. called Kicker's Stink, um, because um, <laughs> I was like, how does a football team that has one superpowered guy, you know, like, I thought this is the world outside our window, and he gets, like, sort of irradiated with powers and Jack Magna Conti. It was just, like, so... <laughs> And um, that one's my secret favorite book. <laughs> uh, yeah, and like because it's ever- it's got an interesting blend of kind of like wackiness and seriousness, and like like I mean, yeah, there's very much like some problems. Um, and just didn't and I get some of the history of it, but but yeah, there's a lot of it fun just, weird little tidbits looking back on it. Yeah, it just didn't fit. And Ron and mm-hmm. and Tom, great combo. I mean, they went on to do Spider Man and Thor. Yeah, like a thousand issues, and I got to work with them later on on that. They just couldn't keep up with the deadlines, or maybe they were too far behind. I didn't ask these probing questions like, "How long does it take you to do a book?" Because they were already behind, so yeah. we were already having what we call fill-in issues in the drawer, you know, to bail us out by issue three. It's really hard to gain momentum on a regular title when you're going to have a fill-in issue by issues three or four. Like, remember the witches of whatever it was called, you know, that issue of Kickers. I'm like, whoa, you know, and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I think one of the funny things about that one was, you know, for us, uh, like we met in chemistry grad school, like we're both yeah. chem PhDs and like I teach and he works in a research lab and, and like that one starred like a, a chemistry professor who lost his funding and I'm like, hey, I can relate to that. Like, yeah, that is a real bummer. 
And um, Night Mask, which I called Nightmare because mm. um, it was always late. It was like Archie, God rest his soul, one of the nicest, most creative, best people ever to work with. I mean, he was a legend and I was like a, a kid and he called me Schlocko or the best boy, as you saw. And they, they nicknamed me Schlocko because I had long hair and I was okay. a kid. I was like a gangly teen, six foot two, skinny. And wow. What's that? I've got the bullpen bulletin from Comet Man number six, where, yeah, it mm-hmm. does say they called you Schlocko. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that was my uh, fun nickname. And uh, I earned it because everything I worked on was pure schlock. And uh, so Night Mask was I called Nightmare because I think we had like three or four different artists on the first four issues or something. We had Ernie Cologne. We had Brett Blevins. Uh, Tony Salmons, uh, like it was just all over the place. Then, um, then Archie couldn't get a script in on time. But there yeah. was one issue that was really good of Nightmaster. It was just great that Ernie Cologne and him did, and it was just like so creepy and eerie. And I was like, wow, if only we could have kept them on for like a whole year. I think it really would have done some, some good for it. And then Javistus, you know, we just laughed when Jim wanted that logo. And like the world outside our window. So yeah, that's real buildings, you know, like the way they have the Roman <laughs> letters engraved in buildings. So the U is a V, but it's not good in the legibility department. And uh, no, no, this is what I want. So it's like, all right, cool. So we put yeah. that on there and, you know, you could, it was like the Hindenburg, like just a bomb. And that first issue of Javistus was uh, Jim hated it and it got torn apart over a weekend. Torn okay. apart. And uh, it was a Jan job, like Janet Jackson. Shout out to Janet. She was a member of the Mighty Marvel bullpen. And she and Art Nichols and a few others like redrew like most of that. And Rick Parker lettered it. It's amazing. I remember this stuff, but I can't remember what I ate last week. But uh, And Rick Parker <laughs> relettered it. And I think Jeff Isherwood did some patches to it because Jeff had originally drawn it with Joe Del Vito. And Jim hated it, completely hated it. And it was a jam job. And that's why it mm-hmm. looks as... Uh, disjointed as it is, and um, mm-hmm. and I think was Steve Englehart the writer on that? Yeah, Steve Englehart was on that, and uh, as you could see, Steve didn't last long on the title because right. he didn't really enjoy working on it. And I think uh, he wanted to work on the Fantastic Four, which he did, and I later worked with him on that, but he was a bit of a I don't know if he was difficult to work with. He was just a seasoned professional. He knew like he was doing this for the paycheck and it wasn't worth the grief that he was getting. Like, no, 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 Steve, you have to do it this way. Like Jim was very overbearing on the reviews of all of these uh, titles. And you know, like when you write something, your editor approves it. You know, you don't think that the editor in chief is going to, you know, shred it overnight. Right. Overnight, and then it comes out to press and it's kind of demoralizing, but, uh, that's the backstory for just the origins of me getting involved with this was just like utter chaos. So what was the outcome of that is I learned a lot in comic book production. I learned, um, you know, how to rebuild books pretty quickly. I learned about paste up in mechanicals because all of the book, all of the books were lettered on overlays like vellum, they called it. Mm-hmm. We would cut the balloons out and paste them onto the artwork. And I got really good at that. And, uh, you know, yeah, and then the, in the universe news, when they they spend a couple months talking about the sort of behind the scenes people and those yeah. you know, paste up and mechanicals, it's like, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of skills there that we only have heard about. I don't. Need, I mean, it, yeah. it always sounds very uh, 
like difficult, frankly. Well, now that in the advent of the computer, if you've ever worked with InDesign or Photoshop and Illustrator, it's very easy to just drag and drop and make balloon shapes and everything and do clipping masks. But then it was like you actually had to have a a drawing board, a T-square, an X-Acto blade. You had to have whiteout and this rubber cement, two-coat rubber cement, and this thing that made it, pulled it off the pages. And you had to be really careful because you're working with original artwork and you had to be precise and because... If the tail of the balloon had a little bit extra of the vellum on it, you could see where it overlays the artwork. So you had to cut it as close to, as possible to that. So why they did that was to save time because traditionally mm -hmm. back then you lettered on the actual artwork and then it went over to the inker. So the inker didn't have to ink around, like ink all of the artwork. He just inked up to the balloon or around the balloons and the sound effects and whatnot. And the borders were already there, but here was like, okay, here's the pages. You roll the borders. <laughs> you paste up all the pages, you know, if the anchor didn't do it. Uh, well, the anchor wasn't responsible for the paste up, so the anchor had to make sure that the borders were there. So hmm. I learned that. And then I also learned coloring too, because Jim would say like, we have to fix this coloring on this. And um, ideally the books had to go out like a month before shipping, shipping being shipped to the comic book distributors, whether it's a retail store or the, candy store the newsstand back then right and um we were getting the books out of two weeks beforehand maybe a week and a half and back then there wasn't photoshop where you could just like give them digital files and they could print from digital files no they had to go to the we call them the chemical ladies where we'd give them the hand colored guides and they would go in and mask out the four screens the black the cyan magenta and um yellow with the shades of the tones in the color guides and that was a tedious process yeah no doubt. <laughs> and to do that in a week is insane and we kept doing that we kept doing that and we couldn't seem to get ahead because once you're late you're always late and you want to remain maintain the continuity so at star brand we had john ramita jr like john ramita jr wow and al williamson what gorgeous artwork it was just gorgeous but the stories were like Ooh, duck, you know, and you know, the the old man, and it just never seemed to go anywhere. And then they just kind of went off in these like single issue stories that didn't make a lot of sense. And then Jim was Jim was on his way out because behind the scenes there was kind of like this this Marvel mutiny of the editors. Mm -hmm. The editors had, had enough of his nitpicking and micromanaging, and they all stormed into his office one day and I didn't. I almost wanted to go in, but I was like, uh, you know, like, I, I still want to have a paycheck, you know, uh, like right. I, I kind of like working here. I don't have as much history, good or bad with him. And um, they basically blew up his spots, so, so to speak. And like, you know, you're a tyrant and all this. I, I wasn't in the room, so I can't say that I know verbatim what happened. But, uh, you know, he was on his way out. He had lost the, the trust of his team and mm -hmm. um so he was always late, you know, and what can you say to your boss? You're late. We're going to fire you when he has the power to fire you. So you just had to wait until he would come in and say, oh, here, here's some script. Send it over to John. You know, you'd have to send it over to John via FedEx and John would come in and it was just stressful. Yeah. But, but the great part was you got to see it printed and all that effort that you went through behind the scenes because no one knows a lot about the behind the scenes until you actually work on it and then you're like oh wow here's the actual copy of it and i was like this is really cool and then uh, i think that night mask 
Night Mask 9 that Archie put me in as the best boy, the Keith Giffen one. Mm-hmm. I think that was the first time my name actually made the credits, aside from maybe a letters page. And uh, I was like, first wow. I noticed it. <laughs> I was like, wow, I made it, you know? And uh, I, it, it's very gratifying. Like, I think I made my name in the letter column somewhere. I think on Silver Surfer, because uh, Higgins and I worked on the New Universe titles as well as the Silver Surfer. And this is not a Silver Surfer thing, but at the same time, like, wow, we get to work on the Silver Surfer, the real Marvel Universe, and then we have the new universe. And the Silver Surfer, we had uh, Engelhart writing that too. So he was more jazzed yeah. about that instead of doing this like Javista stuff. So, <laughs> And um, that was fun. And uh, it gave me a taste of what like, you know, the legitimate Marvel Universe had. So knowing what was going on while you're making them was cool, but then also getting the books out was great. And then there was a lot of momentum. But even the guy I was working with, Higgins, he had a serious, like, he had some uh, dependency issues, let's just say that, mm. uh, substance abuse issues, uh, which hopefully, I, you know, I pray to God he got resolved, you know, over the years. Um, but he was very so erratic. He, he was an older guy than you, though? Yeah, I was uh, 19 or 18. He was maybe 30. Yeah. Oh, okay. He I thought he was my... a young guy, too, for some reason. Well, uh, no. It's all relative. 30's right? pretty young to me now. So uh, anyway, <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> uh, anyway, he helped me get into Marvel, yeah. uh, my internship. So I had this sort of loyalty to him because uh, the the program I used was called City of School to get in there, but it only did like public schools. And I was in an all-boys Catholic high school in, in Manhattan, New York, that he was in, and he was a graduate from it. So there was some sort of uh, – okay. You know, loyalty there or whatever always oh, a member of the of the club let's get him in so he he put in a good word for me so i always i felt very grateful like wow you you helped get me in but then once i started working with him he was just really erratic he was just kind of like wow he was just um never there and uh, he would call me up oh, my cat is now deciding to uh, hit a ball here come on out <laughs> i have another cat that's sleeping i have a younger one here so um Excuse me. Hopefully you can edit that out or not. But um, I can find it again. I always can. Yeah, that's fine. It might be, it might amuse. He always that. promises to edit stuff out. It might amuse I leave all in all of them. Steven's mistakes and fix all of mine. Awesome. Leave it in for outtakes for the future. So uh, he was very erratic and that's not to disparage him. He just wasn't there. He'd right. call me up at around 1130 like, oh, I'm not coming in. And I'm like, okay, what am I supposed to do? Like you kind of want your boss to be there when you're a team. To edit these things and you know it doesn't go unnoticed especially and, if you're kind of brand new to the industry and such yeah yeah it doesn't go unnoticed and uh like shooter was fired april 15th 1987 i know that because yeah. ralph macchio had a t-shirt made of it <laughs> <laughs> ralph macchio i think was one of the editors i worked with ralph later on but he was one of the editors of i think he worked on one of the new universe titles or he worked on it later and um, Mike quit like a month after that. So no, no voice of the new universe editor in chief is gone. Then the bo- the guy who was editing half of the titles was gone. My boss. So I'm like, what do I do now? And then they, I think they moved the books over to Howard Mackey at that point, or maybe Terry Cavanaugh or Howard Mackey. Mm-hmm. Mackey they, was taking over star brand. Cause I remember. Yeah. He was the, yeah, right. with John Byrne. John Byrne's right. connection. He put John Byrne on. And when uh, it was uh when it was early on and it was you know still all chaotic, 
like did you have kind of like new universe ground rules to kind of go by um or would it was it more like you know, you'd try and follow what you're doing and then by the time it made the editor-in-chief you'd get sort of surprised like no we have to do it this way kind of stuff or that's a that's a great question in in the realm of sanity you would think that um you think you'd have you'd like have, a guidebook or something you'd have plot conferences like this is this is the timeline this is like what we're planning to do with the character what do you think let's brainstorm and uh so it wouldn't be like a shock when he's reading the issue like oh well what the hell is this um so no we didn't have a plan let's just no. say we pulled it out from we were going by the seat of our pants an interesting story i i well, I still can remember this is my one of my favorite interactions with Jim and the New Universe and Star Brand number two. I know you're up to issue ten or eleven now, so forgive me. I'm going back. You may not. You may have noticed this that in Star Brand two, there's a there's a scene with a reporter, Ray Tannehill, of some local Pittsburgh, and you're from Pittsburgh, so you're nodding. Your well, yeah, I, I, I looked him up. Yeah, some uh... Ray Tannehill. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. The Ray Tannehill issue. You talked about that one, I think. So Ray Tannehill is the, is the broadcaster of the world outside our window. So he's making a reference to Ray Tannehill. Jim had sworn up and down that he gave me reference for Ray Tannehill, a photo of Ray Tannehill to give to John Romita Jr. I had no recollection of it. We had the unbound copy. It was called a make ready. It was like a sort of like cut up issue that the printer would send to us. It's like, okay, here's a go by. This is what it's going to go look like. Uh, the main office was on the 10th floor and Mike, myself, Bob Harris and Bobby Chase shared an office on the 11th floor, which is a lot of legal offices. And Jim comes up the stairs. And Jim was like six foot seven, six foot eight. He leans in and goes, Schlocko. And he, you know, like he, I was like, oh boy. It was after, <laughs> I think it was like five o'clock. And when you know Jim looked pissed, he looked really pissed off. And he's holding the book in his this little comic book in his big hands. And I'm like, look, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm six foot two. I'm not a, I'm not a shrimp boat by any any stretch of the imagination, but he's like six eight. He's an intimidating character. And he's older and he's established. And uh, he goes, Well, what the fuck happened? Oh, can I curse? I'm sorry. You can beep uh, it out. It's fine. <laughs> he's like, What the what the what what happened? And I'm like, Well, what do you mean, Jim? What happened with Ray Tannehill? I'm like, I didn't want to sound ignorant, but you know, we did get it out in, in like two nights or something. Can't say I have every page memorized. I was like, Ray Tannehill was like, yeah, look at this. Look at this. What the hell happened? I'm like, I gave you a photo. This is not Ray Tannehill. You, you fucked up, Schlock. You, 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 you fucked up. And he was like yelling at me. And I'm like, I'm sorry, Jim. It was just so, so chaotic. I was like traumatized. I'm like, oh, going to be fired over Ray freaking Daniel. And he <laughs> went into an empty office next door to ours. And it was so melodramatic. The light was dim. And he was holding his head in his hands like, oh, oh. <laughs> so I was like, that's the Ray Tannehill one. And then there was an episode, there was an issue, an episode of just Javistas where we had the book lettered overnight. And uh, wow. there was a typo. Like Rick Parker could letter like a hundred pages a night. Rick, I've lost touch with, but he was an amazing letterer. I think he moved up to Maine. Incredible person, super creative. Um, he lettered the book overnight, and there was a misspelling of the word breach. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay. 
He goes, Breach, do you know how to spell Schlocko? Like, I was the, the company proofreader, and I was like, he was yelling at me over Breach. Uh, we can't have this. It's unprofessional. So I could see why other people might get this feeling that their toes were getting stepped on because just two minor gaffes, you know, in the grand scheme of things with no, like, no forgiving of the stress that we were under to just sort of get this these things out so we could save face. You know, let's let's be realistic here. You've already solicited this. We had the the catalogs going out saying this is when it's supposed to come out. And it looks kind of embarrassing when the the boxes come in and then there's no issues of DP7 or DP7 was never late, by the way. No issues of Nightmask there, no issues of Genesis right. or no star brands, no kickers, no Merc, <laughs> you know, and no Spitfire and the troubleshooters. You know? <laughs> so I'd read somewhere like you would. They paid ahead of time for these print runs and you basically have to get the the material to the printer on time or you're losing money. Yeah, well, you're losing money. Tell them. You're losing on sale time too. And mm-hmm. and if I in those days, if you missed a shipping date, those books could be called returnable. Oh, okay. So uh, a comic book shop that was expecting them to have them there for three weeks to sell them. You only have two weeks. Well, screw this. I've lost money. I've already paid out of pocket. So it could be become returnable. Oh. So it was in everyone's best interest to bust your ass, pay a little bit more to work overtime to get it there because you wanted to not make it in shipping because it's also your reputation at stake too. Yeah. You know, because DC yep. was trying to remain on time and, you know, this is their way of needling us. Like, oh, they can't get their books out on time. I was around the rack, you know? Mm-hmm. So I feel was, like was, over the course of Marvel versus DC, that. Like goes back and forth all the time. So I remember reading comics, especially since the balance of power, dare I say, was leaning in their favor. You know, because yeah. John Byrne left. John Byrne, yeah, was I, super you're productive. just a year after Crisis, or Crisis is wrapped up, and so they were, they must have been really seeing a lot of increased uh, attention at that point. And yeah, and over at Marvel, you're feeling we we got to up our game even more now. Yeah, so we're going to create a whole line of comics that no one's ever heard of. Yeah, that was that was the, <laughs> that was the grand scheme thing. You know, John Byrne went to Superman. He's going to like do a bunch of Superman titles. That's their flagship character. Big blow. Right. Guy used to draw the X Men. You know, decides like, oh, like even Walt Simonson, he was having a hard time with with Jim the Simonsons. You know, mm-hmm. Simonson's a great guy. You know, and he has a lot of patience, a great disposition. But even that's like, I don't need this. You know. Um, yeah, I think I've they were just anything like bad water. about Simonson. I mean, Burn and Shooter certainly people have opinions on. Like, they've like well, yeah, there's personalities also, clashing. I, I can only yeah, there was the wonder. burning and effigy party we had uh, after Jim was was fired. I don't know if you've ever heard about that. I've seen the story a bunch of times. And yeah, John Byrne hosted it at his house. Um, I don't know who came up with the concept. But I remember having boxes of New Universe comic books that no one wanted in my apartment. That we were going, and I bought the suit that we were going to burn Jim. And you know, I, I I was nineteen at the time. As a as a fifty five year old man now, I certainly would. If I go back in time, I probably would not do this. Uh, my current self would go back and say, Mike, young Mike, don't do this. Bad idea. Very bad. This is not something to be proud of. So I'm not proud of this. This is just exactly what happened. I bought the suit at a thrift store. It was an old gray suit or a black suit. We 
made a cutout of his head on a Xerox machine, put it on a piece of cardboard, put it on the top of the suit that was stuffed with the New Universe comic books. And um, John had a party in his house up in Greenwich, stately burn manor, we used to call it. Mm -hmm. And um, I was hammered at the time. I was bombed out of my mind. And uh, apparently I lit the thing too quickly. There's video of this somewhere floating around. So we burned oh, wow. him in effigy. Byrne was singing. A few others were singing. They were adults. I'm going to say that to all of those. Like they, they, they knew better. I clearly did not know better, but they, they went along with it. So, John, if you're listening, how dare you? Shame on you. But he wound up throwing me out of that party because I became an unruly mess, and um, oh, man. I was banned from um, working. I'm going to his house ever again. But I did work with him again. And when I was promoted to full-time editor, I would it was like a joke between us. I would call him up and offer him a book. Like I was working on Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Doctor Strange. So I was like, hey, John, you want to work on this? He'd be like, no. And then he heard I got another book and he called me up to tell me I, I'm not working on that book for you. So, so like we <laughs> we patched things up in my from my point of view, but he yeah. might think differently. But yeah, so they didn't get along. So everyone was dancing on Jim's grave at, at the conclusion of uh, him being terminated burning him in effigy, uh, turning Starbrand into, I don't know what, you know, like, and then blowing up Pittsburgh, you know, let's, uh, let's be realistic here. There was some uh, petty things going on. And at that point, um, that was by issue 12. I, I think Byrne came on issue 10 or 11 of Starbrand, if memory serves me right. Do you guys remember? Yeah, 11, I'm going to say. Around then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 11. Yeah. Because I think Roy Thomas wrote a few issues. Um, yeah, so it's bi-monthly after Burn leaves. And then oh, I yeah. couldn't tell, like, was it that the editors didn't just didn't know what to do with it? Or, or like, why you went? Uh... Well, I, I think they knew they had to put it out of its misery because uh, most of the other titles were done after a year, you know, like. Well, except for Justice and DP7, like Night Mask, Kickers. And don't forget Cyforce. That well, one Cy too, yeah. Yeah, right. Cyforce lasted, but Justice, Kickers. Um, what else? Um, yeah, Night Mask and Spitfire, uh, Kickers. Yeah, Spitfire and the Troubleshooters. Yeah, there were ones that were just, and Merc. Yeah, I said Merc. Um, mm -hmm. They were just on their last legs. And uh, at one point, I did work on all of them. Because I, I went on to become Howard Mackey's assistant, and they consolidated the, the remaining titles of that were remaining uh, with him. And I was his assistant for a few months before I went over to work with Terry Cavanaugh on Marvel Comics Presents and other things. Because okay. um, that was something that Higgins had started as well while we were working on the new universe, the little eight eight page mini series. You know, I worked on that for a bunch of bunch of stories, and that was that was a lot of fun because I got to. Ex work with a ton of creative talent who just like could make up their own stories it's an eight-page story do whatever you want with the characters mm -hmm. but yeah, uh, i i think i saw that higgins had gone over to marvel comics presents and i was like yeah i wonder if it was like working on a, a weekly or bi-weekly to try to get the new universe out when you're just pushing against deadlines all the time like was it well, a similar it was, experience no because working on a weekly i think marvel comics presents was bi-weekly at the time that was the concept. We had to have a lot of content in the drawer, as we used to call it. We used to have a lot of like backlog of content, so you knew how to plan it out. That, To answer your question, Andy, 
about was there a plan with Marvel Comics Presents there definitely was a plan. Like we're gonna have a eight eight part Wolverine, a six part Shang-Chi or eight part Shang-Chi. And when you were to the new universe, it's like, oh God, we have another issue to do. Like like is there a cliffhanger here? Like, oh gosh, like we're late already. You know, it's not like we had, and then, but in all fairness, when Jeff Isherwood came on, and hi, Jeff, if you ever tune in, Jeff um, was a tremendous artist. He started writing Justice and Javistas. Yeah, yeah. Like, he just yeah, decided, we, like, we I'm going to write it. As like, hey, wow, okay. I'm, yeah, I'm he started writing year. and drawing it. And the reason he got that is because it's like, oh, thank goodness, someone wants to actually write this, you know, and draw it. It's like, oh, bonus. And he was reliable and professional and he was good. Like, his writing was, he was a new writer, but it's like, who cares? You know, like, could he do any worse than what was already put out? You know, like mm-hmm. like some of those Engelhart issues were just like a mess. That like some plot threads never resolved, and I didn't read the Peter David stuff because I was already off of it. And mm-hmm. you know, at that point, like I kind of detached. No slide to the new universe fans out there. I'm like I kind of detached after like twelve to fourteen <laughs> issues of this stuff or fifteen issues. You're sort of like, oh my gosh, I've. I've had enough. Like, I really don't care. And, you know, like, DP7, though, I really enjoyed those characters. And Mark Mark Grunewald, I went on to become his editor on Captain America and Quasar. So, uh, and Mark was a great guy, taken way too soon. Um, yeah. But, and Paul Ryan and Danny Bulanati, what, a, like, they were a consistent creative team. And they were great. Like, Paul Ryan was awesome. Uh, I don't think he ever got the respect he's, he's so rightfully deserved because he was a great illustrator compositor storyteller reliable dependable you could set your watch to him like this is when the work's going to come in and it's going to be good and professional yeah, right like fast and it doesn't look rushed like great yeah details. just like like, yeah. like he'd have three-point perspective he'd have all the grid lines i was like blown away by his professionalism no shortcuts like every page is rich and lush details backgrounds and danny bolinati he just passed away too. It's like, oh gosh, everyone's like That's dropping scary, like flies. Yeah. Rest, rest in peace, Danny. Um, he would capture all of it, and he didn't overwhelm it like a lot of the Filipino inkers would. It was mm-hmm. such a great team, and you had Paul Beckton who worked in the bullpen. He was the colorist. I think he did all of the issues or most of the issues. And Paul's health is bad now too. He's, I think, he's in a nursing home now. So I hope, I hope he's getting better. But mm-hmm. yeah, and Paul was working on that. I'm kind of morose here. Anyway, but uh, it, it, it was Happens, yeah. it was such a consistent team quality on such weird characters that no one really cared about, which is so disappointing. They care about them now, I think, and and those who did buy it did care about them, but there wasn't a lot of sales. Yeah. So when when the books, you know, ended, where were they going to fit in? Like at that point in Marvel X books. You know, everything was Wolverine or Ghost Rider or um, Spider-Man. Like McFarlane had gone on to Spider-Man. You had Ghost Rider. You had the X-Men with Jim Lee coming on. So there was sort of like, there was no space. Because Marvel said, okay, we now have people wanting to work with us. It was like a very boom before they went over to Image, of course. There was a big boom there. Or wanted to work with them. So you couldn't find space for like, oh, let's work dp7 into the x-men universe oh go away what a terrible idea but work it into the avengers or something 
They may have done that in the in the, the current iterations. Of them. I don't even read them anymore. I think they ended up like somehow wrapping into like Quasar, but I haven't read any of it. Like, well, I, I edited right Quasar and I edited them, I think issue 40 through 50 something Quasar. That was fun. But uh, yeah. you know, it was um it wasn't a consistent application of the of the characters. Right. And I don't think anyone yeah. else but Mark knew who the, what they were. Like if you could get into Mark Greenwald's brain, he knew all the characters better than anyone. And just to hand the, the keys over to someone else and say, you drive them. I think it would have been a disservice to the characters. Yeah. And I, I I'm sounding so pompous here saying that, but you know, they're just like dopey comic book characters, but he really knew them and he loved them. And he put such energy into them that um to give them to someone else and be like, eh, all right, what are you doing with DP seven? Do we really need a DP seven like tie in? You know, it's not like, wow. This is right. a must-have. Yeah, so, my guess was always kind of like, you know, it's just a tough sell for non-superhero characters, right? Like it can be, it, it was well written and it's well drawn, and the characters are interesting if, if you sit down and read it. But yeah, like to just look at it on the shelves and pick it up or like hear what it's about, it doesn't sound too flashy for like people who are, you know, yeah, yeah. which planet is Silver Surfer visiting kind of thing. Yeah, versus, paranormals, you know, displace paranormals. What? Right. Doesn't make as opposed to mutants, yeah. X Men. Yeah. I think I think yeah that Ryan's style was perfect for a more realistic yeah. know, line, and so if if all of the titles could have kind of kept up with that, that would have really maybe caught on. I don't know. Like you say, there's without being flashy and having costumes and everything, it's like this, why are we? Why is this a comic book instead of something else? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah you're right. And well, I've given uh, my friends a lot of copies of DP seven number one, oh, yeah? so we'll see if it catches on again sometime. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope so. I mean, uh, their back issues are pretty cheap, you know. So for the fans of them, you know, go out and get them. Yeah. You know, why not? And read them, and then write, you know, write your own blogs about them or do your own podcast about them because they exist. And it's a shame that you know they didn't catch on more than they did, but you know. It's being at the right place at the right time. They were definitely in the wrong place at the wrong time. So so one of the things I kind of noticed, and it, it seems like it probably overlaps with your tenure there, is, you know, like, yeah, maybe the first six to eight issues, every there was a lot of changes, and then things started to kind of settle down. Um, maybe right around the time Shooter left, too, and you started to get more regular creative teams. Uh, on books, even as they were kind of heading towards cancellation, perhaps, um, you know, was that kind of a like a concerted effort to kind of get back, get things back on track at, at some point? Well, yeah, I I think um, it coincided with Jim's departure, Mike Higgins' departure, um, and the fact that comic books, everyone wants to work for Marvel Comics, and and maybe DC too, but. Anyone you talk to on the streets today would be like, I'd love to draw comics for Marvel Comics. Can I show you my drawing? Yeah. Can I show? I have an idea. So that was the case back then where people just said, I want to work on these. It was an opportunity for people to just cut their eye teeth in comic books. Like you held up an issue of Nightmask during our break with yep. um, Mark Number Bagley. <laughs> yeah, Mark Bagley and Tony DeZuniga. Mark Bagley was a Marvel trial contest winner. You know, yeah. Marvel trial contest. It was a giant book that people you know, like were instructed on how to pencil, ink, letter, and even color 
comic book pages and they gave you Marvel Bristol board on the back with a plot and everyone would have to draw their plot and there were stacks of these stacks of submissions somehow Mark Bagley made it through the stacks of submissions and was crowned the Marvel Comics tryout winner and what do you do with that you give him an issue of the new universe thankfully for us readers because yeah it it ends up looking nice right you know i I take no credit for that higgins like uh we need an artist let's get mark bagley on Uh." and mark was like sure i'll do it he was super cool super nice guy and uh like his layouts came in they were really good we i think our first issue with him we gave to ernie chan or something ernie chan rest in rest in peace too um was a great artist worked on conan mostly but you know, Ernie, you know, like it was basically through telephone. Yeah. Like, we didn't have instant message. We didn't have text messages. You know, we didn't have computers. People would call the office, Mike from Marvel. Hey, Mike, this is Ernie Chen. You have any work? Yeah, I have this issue of Nightmares. Okay. Three weeks later, it's all done. So it was just people who got through, knew there was a need. And when the dust settled, I think having less chaos at the top let other things you know, grow when you cut off the rotting head, you know, it kind of helps the rest of the fish, you know, it, it keeps it from rotting. Um, so I, I definitely think that's a terrible analogy, but anyway, it just it, it helped. And I think people hungry to get into the business, they saw it as a stepping stone. You know, I think, um, I think Javier Saltares worked on some of those and he went on to work on Ghost Rider. Um, Sci Force had a bunch of people like Rodney Ramos and Chris Ivy. And multiple artists, Mike Mike Bear, Mike Hernandez, he did those funky covers for Night Mask. I think he did one issue of Night Mask or a couple of pages. Sandy Plunkett, wow, he would do some beautiful Night covers, right? yeah. uh, beautiful covers. I think he did one for Givistas too. Um, Dave Hoover, Lee Weeks, you know, like all these people who were looking for work. And then, you know, like Lee Weeks went on to like draw everything and did Daredevil really beautifully. So yeah, you're right. That's a, that's a great observation. I think once we got past those uh, really bumpy first six months, uh, things kind of calmed down because for obvious reasons, but also because things kind of settled, yeah. you know, and, uh, Jeff took over justice night mask. We sort of had Mark Bagley on it and Roy Thomas writing it. Um, justice. Yeah, like I said, Starbrand, you know, John took over. Um, Spitfire was still like all over the place. I think he had Alan Kupperberg working on it with Tony DeZuniga. And Carrie Bates was writing some. I think Terry Cavanaugh and Ron Altaville were working on Kickers, Inc. Yep. And um, I like that run. Yeah, yeah. I think it was two or three issues, but it feels like a run. That was probably the longest run of any of the creative teams aside from Tom and Ron. Um, I think it might have yeah. been. <laughs> yeah, and Terry and Ron. I knew Terry because I worked with Terry. And so he took over the book. And we worked with guys like Howard Bender. You know, like anyone who could just get the jobs done. But those books were on their last legs. And then, of course, you had Danny and Paul and Mark. And um, so, yeah, it was definitely a feeding ground for people to get into other other books once those were canceled because they proved themselves it was sort of like paying your dues if you worked on the new universe you paid your dues it wasn't like you know i'm gonna wait for an issue of spider-man because the likelihood of you getting on spider-man right away was just not gonna happen because it's only like one or two titles right everyone wants to write draw spider-man and write spider-man so there wasn't a lot of openings yeah i could kind of imagine 
it would work as like new talent showcase where you have sort of a lower bar for, you know, why, why don't you pitch us a story? Why don't you try this fill in issue? And, you know, it, yeah. it, you're not a big risk there. So, no, there was no risk because we knew these things were getting canceled anyway. So it was sort of like, let's do it. You know, <laughs> you're hired. And, um, Similar, I took that approach when I was editor of some titles that were being canceled anyway. Like when I took over Power Pack, you know, all right, I was like, Power Pack, oh, <laughs> I, I was not a fan of Power Pack, not no, not to disparage Power Pack fans because there are legion of them. Um, Mike Higgins was the writer when I inherited the title, I didn't have the heart to fire him, mm-hmm. and we knew it was canceled. And he's like, I'm going to turn that one of the kids into a horse. I was like, What? <laughs> we did it. We did it. And I had Tom Morgan draw it. I had my old roommate, Steve Busilato, draw one of them. But anyway, so yeah, definitely new talent showcase. Um, definitely a feeder for the... And if only we had the brains to label it as such, the new universe talent so- showcase might have uh, might have garnered more sales and more attention. Like, oh, you know, here's some up-and-comers. But, you know, there was a lot, a lot of good there that I think gets overlooked just because of the history and the stigma associated with it. Yeah, that's that's what I've kind of noticed. It's like, you know, all it takes is like two people writing articles online about, you know, how everything is kind of bad. And, you know, and clearly it was sort of a, you know, a failure in that a lot got canceled and it didn't really catch on. But mm-hmm. and then somebody reads that web article and publishes pretty much the same thing without reading all of the comic books, you know? So yeah. like, I feel like most of the people who are kind of talking about how, you know, everything in it is terrible, like, didn't read most or any of it as well it just kind of like cycles uh, in internet yeah. news stories but, but yeah like the, think... the later run of justice which i did read when i got them all in my back issues was really good it was yeah. good peter david writing that was like when he was he was really like i said cutting his eye teeth writing there i mean what did he go on to write to the incredible hulk with todd McFarlane? boom and he right. was working like sales and marketing at marvel you know, I used to bring him covers to sign off on because he worked like in the sales and marketing department. Then he went on to become a writer, a really good writer. Yeah. So, uh, I was like, a big yeah. fan. Like he did the first four issues of Mark Hazard Merck, you know, which yeah. had a really fun angle where, you know, it was like half actiony Rambo kind of stuff, but then other half like dealing with his ex-wife's new husband and his kid and stuff. And like, it was, it was just kind of fun. Yeah, it was definitely different. Mark Hazard Merck, uh, kind of went off the rails there because they couldn't seem to find consistent artwork. They had some cool covers. Yeah. Wow. Zek covers. And then I think some of the interiors like Gray Morrow. Really yeah, nice. There's a lot Gray Morrow on that one. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful art. Like, wow. If you if you hate the title, just look at, buy it for the artwork. Beautiful. You're not going to see that on a regular regular book. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if we went through and looked at all the new books that came out in those years, like how many of them were like what the risk of cancellation within a year is, but mm-hmm. it doesn't didn't seem like these were significantly, you know. There were let's just say there were things coming out at the same time, like Alpha Flight, that I don't think anyone really cared about one way or the other, but they just kind of kept going from momentum or something. Yeah, I used to call them awful flight. Yeah, I just never never got it. And cloak and dagger, I'm like, oh God, and strange tales and Doctor Strange, like and they, they, some of them did get canceled, like Doctor Strange. I don't know. When I took it over, it was like on volume three or four, you know, um, and even S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, it's like, oh, God, why are we doing this? It's like Mission Impossible, Drek. You know, it just mm-hmm. isn't working. You know, it's really, it's not translatable. 
like when Steranko did it in the 60s, like James Bond, really cool Mission Impossible stuff. Kids aren't interested. They want to see guys with bones coming out of their hands and carving people up like a like a Christmas goose or something, you know, and angry and rage. And um kind of like when the grunge era of music came, you know, that's when like the oh yeah, <laughs> the, the Marvel, you know, everyone shifted their styles and everyone started getting like gigantic muscles and you know, McFarlands yeah. and the Liefelds and everyone took over. So yeah. Superman got the long wavy hair and yeah, everyone had mullets and you know, yeah, it's it kind of cool. Style de definitely did not go in a more realistic direction. Um, no, no, there was no realism in the new universe. You know, with the exception of maybe the Paul Ryan book, Zero, um, even the Ray Tannehill incident. You know, like we couldn't even get that right. You know, it still looked like a comic book. Look, it's really hard to make something look realistic, and have you escape into it when you know it's drawn. You know, even today with the advent of Photoshop and using photo reference or the latest topic ai technology mm, to render yes. things you're still looking at something that was manufactured for you not something that you can experience yourself and you're actually investing in it so it's like who are you who are we kidding yeah. you know uh so i think that's and and i think that just the the knock on it was that it was jim's idea if you said it was stan's idea would you would would we be hearing this much flack about it I really don't think so. You know, like if you, if you, cause Stan is idolized, like he can do no wrong. I mean, people would fall on a hand grenade for Stan. Like go to any one of these fan pages where there's the arguments between Stan and Jack, like who did what, you know, chicken or the egg, like did Stan do it? No, Jack did it. No, Stan did it. No, you know, like, and there's, it's almost like the cult of personality there. Like if Stanley said, this is my new universe, I would be like, oh, kind of cool, Stan. Like, let's yeah. don't, don't talk bad about it, you know? Yeah, I, I I would stand behind all the concepts too, like the characters yeah. and stuff. Like Night Mask is, you know, at its time still kind of an original concept of kind of like, it was yeah, cool. exploring all these dream worlds, right? And you know, Justice with the kind of like fish out of water story, um, you know, alien kind of on Earth, right? Like, there's a lot of cool story potential there, kind of thing. Yeah, so just all all the concepts to me work. Um, I mean, they, they also helped that they're sort of isolated because if you threw some of those concepts into the main Marvel universe, they just sort of get lost in the, you know, overshadowed by the, all the existing teams and everything. So it makes yeah, sense I mean, to the, try a new thing and sort of partition it off, you know, let it sort of grow on its own. Yeah, I mean, and the traditional kind of Marvel shame. characters were already established. You're going to put justice against the Punisher? Like, no, I don't. I don't think so. You're like, what's his angle? He's an alien. Okay, cool. You know, the Punisher is just way cooler. Has a better costume. Has an edge. He's a murderer. You know, <laughs> he will just blow you away. And, yeah. You know, and Bullseye, like a maniacal character with Daredevil. You know, like what? Did, what did you have in the universe? You didn't have a lot of antagonists there. Like, no, you didn't. It was just sort of like everything just sort of happened. Like, what was the antagonist in? In Starbrand, can anyone tell me? No, I you have them. the old man, right? Yeah, okay. And everything kind of drifts from there. but So you had a Grizzly Adams character that was sort of mysterious in the background. You know, in, in like... my in my head, because in rereading Starbrand, and, and that's one of the few New Universe books that before we started doing this, I had, I had read myself, uh, I think twice through, actually. Mm -hmm. Like in reading it, I'm kind of like, like, is this just a romance book 
that has some action scenes to kind of break it up because like there's just a lot of like him and his girlfriend and his side girlfriend and these kind of things which are kind of funny and interesting romance stories and then occasionally something gets blown up and st- or or the old man shows up yeah know. the terrorists are coming and we have to detonate the bomb i think that's yeah. an issue too that was a fun one too where we couldn't get a cover done and then john ramita senior had to draw it like in a day Oh, <laughs> where he's holding that bomb upside down, like the atomic bomb, and he's underwater and everything. I was like, "Oh yeah, that's the world." You got it exactly. <laughs> yeah, there it is. John yeah, did that like in an overnight. World outside your window. I'm like okay, <laughs> and um, you know, it's like uh, you said, justice was your favorite, though. Well, I, I, in the long run, yeah, because justice was just. I like I was a fan of like the Terminator and stuff, so let, let's not lie. And then you had a guy with an Highlander, and you sort of had a guy with a mullet and weird shades and a trench coat. You know, the trench coats were big back then with the bad guys. And um, this is true. <laughs> and um, I like the art. I think I like Jeff's art. I like Steve's storytelling. And and I have to say, from a personal point of view, Vinny Coletta was the inker on a lot of these, and mm-hmm. Vinny is so disparaged like he is vilified he's excoriated like pitchforks and everything coming out for Vinny because of the way he inked jack kirby or something but right it's just like a they call him a hack i mean if you ever heard of the the thin black line by tomorrow's publishing it's a whole book about Vinny coletta and how people hate him or and i actually was interviewed for that and i'm like Vinny was cool Mm-hmm. He was an older guy. He looked like a gangster. He would come up. He would deliver the the justice pages, and they looked like Jeff Fisher. They looked like Vinny Coletta did it. He had like someone um, do the backgrounds for him. He's like, ah, these pages, they stink. And I'm like, okay. He didn't say it about Jeff. There was an issue with Tony Salmons. Tony Salmons, great draftsman. He had sort of like this weird Kirby Mignola feel to him. Mm-hmm. Tony brought the pages in. I think it was for issue three or four of Justice. And uh, they're really cool. They almost had like a Gene Colon, like grayish tone to the pencils of them, which was really hard to capture in black and white. Mm-hmm. So, of course, you know, giving it to Vinny because Jim was in love with Vinny. I give this to Vinny. It's like, I don't know what Vinny had on Jim, but everything was going to Vinny. So it, was always it does like show that. up a lot in the new universe books. Yeah, yeah. it was that intrigue because Vinny was the only one who could do all the work. Oh, give it to Vinny. No one else wanted to work on it. I was like, this is a career killer. I don't want to work on it when Jim's on this. So, um, Vinny would bring in the pages, and when he saw Tony's uh, Tony's pages, he came and he's like, kid, these pages, they stink. I'm like, why do you say that, Vinny? I'm going to get someone to help me out repencil him. I'm going to get Frankie G on him. Like, Frankie G, Giacoya. I'm going to get Giacoya on him. I'm like, okay, you know, Frank Giacoya. Like, wow, Frank Giacoya is going to help ink backgrounds of justice? What happened to Frank? Well, Frank was, you know, on the tail end of his career. He was an older guy. So um, Justice Pages came back in and, and you know, Tony Salmons, who was pretty new in the business, maybe a couple of years came in and, and he almost cried when he saw it. He was like, oh my God. Like when he mm. took out the pages from the drawers, I'm like, yeah, Vinny did the job and they ruined them. <laughs> and I felt so bad, but it's like, dude, we got to get this stuff out. You're getting paid no matter what. You know, I, I, I wasn't unsympathetic to him per se, but at the same time, I was like, you know, it's just nothing you can do about it. Yeah. Being a diva right now, dude. No one else is hiring you, so get in line. So, I mean, 
the long long story about Vinny was that working with Vinny was a blast. I had mm. so much fun working with him. And um, when Jim was fired, there came the Vinny Coletta letter. If you've ever heard of that, Google Vinny Coletta letter to Marvel, where um, he basically rips apart all of, of Marvel editorial, the business guys, and says, uh, you know, you're 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 laughing like ghouls tearing at his flesh. You know, he was the only honest guy. And that basically put a exclamation point at the end of Vinny's career, you uh-huh. know, which was which was a shame because Vinny was like in his 60s. You know, he'd worked he worked on Jack Kirby for Cranola. He did all the romance and he did was a DC art director. He wasn't a bad guy. People just didn't like his style. Right. And when you're working on books that no one really likes anyway, like what like why are you getting why are you getting up in arms about this? You know, and um, I don't think people were looking at the comic book stand and saying, I'm not going to buy that book because Vinnie Coletta is inking it. There might have been a handful, but I think the majority of them didn't buy the books because they just didn't know who the characters were. They weren't promoted. Like, right. it wasn't like you could do email blasts and say, like, hey, this issue of Justice. You couldn't do a podcast. You couldn't do any of the things that now can really hype them. You didn't have a Facebook page. You didn't have Instagram. You didn't have TikToks. You had nothing. It was a right. little blurb this big in a comic book catalog with a thousand other titles what made you stand out amongst that pretty tough sell if you ask me so that brings up a couple of questions i guess i had like sure one is like as far as like self-promotion there's not a lot of um the universe news doesn't show up a lot and in the first few months and there's not a lot of letters pages (laughs) Right. Were those just like, you know, too late for the editorial uh, for each book to get out? Or was there? Well, to answer the first one, uh, Universe News, some of the stories ran long. We actually had to pull ads from the books to get the, like, it's typically 22 pages of content. I think some of Jim's were maybe 23 or 24. And sometimes um, we had to pull ads or pull the letters page. And sometimes we would just run an ad where the letters page was. was. And the reason why there wasn't a letters page for the first three or four issues was there was no fan mail. Uh, no one writing any letters because it was all brand new. It wasn't like yeah. a new editorial regime of Spider-Man where it's like, hey, this new issue stinks because I've been a fan for 25 years. So you had to wait for it to come in. So little little uh, tale here for you is that probably 90% of those letters in the first few letter columns were made up. <laughs> you know that all that does kind of add up because there's a lot of them in some of those early ones who are like oh wow i just bought this and it's the greatest issue ever and this character is like the coolest thing ever and they're really kind of generic yeah <laughs> yeah and uh people would get paid 25 bucks to type them up and type the responses and we would oh, get man. the typeset and my job was or the bullpen's job was to cut them out and put them on a board yeah. and send them out so yeah that's the reason there was no letter columns and the bull and the new universe bulletins or what was it called again new universe what universe news yeah universe news i think mark grunwald wanted us to do that because we didn't have an identity and we're basically trying to hype ourselves amongst ourselves you know it's kind of like the old adage clapping with one hand you know (laughs) round of applause please you know like we're doing a great job by not delivering you books on time by not giving you consistent themes you know it's sort of well it's kind of a it's a hard way of promoting yourself when you're not doing a very good job in the first place. Hey, what do you think of the great work we're not doing? 
you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I think there was no one to really champion that too, because a Mike Higgins was high all the time. B I was brand new. C Jim was just sort of like this ogre that no one to work with. So it wasn't like a real, like, Hey, let's hype this. It was sort yeah. of like, let's just get it out, you know, get it moving. So they say a lot of, um, we've seen a lot that there was no budget for the new universe. Like the, yeah. the initial thing was like, Oh, you'll have all this extra money. So was that just like promotional budget? Because I mean, when you're working on the books, you're still getting like a page rate. Like, a yeah, yeah. There's definitely a seed money to get things started. So for example, they say like, Oh, you have $50,000 to start these off, do promotions work, get pages drawn, you know, and, and do prototypes and whatnot. But maybe the executives, I, that's where I was not involved in that. That was the Elliot Brown, Jack Morelli part of it. Oh, okay. And from what I saw, what was produced was sort of like, this is it. Like, mm. this is not a lot to work with because they transferred those pages in these flat file drawers to us. That's sort of like starting from scratch. It was a lot of like, there was a, like a Brett Blevins night mask cover. There was a Tony Salmons night mask um, there was maybe another star brand drawing, maybe a few justice drawings. Mm. It wasn't like there were six treatments there. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like you paid a bunch of writers to give their best proposals. So right, I, right, I right. think there's a little bit of a fairy tales involved there with like, well, they cut the budget. So that's the reason this is why this got off to such a, a bumpy start. It got off to a bumpy start because it just wasn't very good and it was late. And, um, you had a lot of turmoil behind the scenes where you fire the first team of editors doing this. And then you put it onto, you know, Laurel and Hardy, me and Mike Higgins, you know, like we mm. <laughs> were as green as grass when it comes to that. And like, okay, like if you had given this titles to Roy Thomas or Steve Engelhardt to write and edit, you mm. probably would have had a much different outcome because there was a lot more credibility with that. And I'm not disparaging my own marvelous reputation as the legend. I'm just saying that you know, no one knew who I was. So it was like, hey, I can't wait to work with Mike and Mike. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, who are you? So it wasn't like you know, <laughs> we could even hype ourselves. So sort of like, hi, we're the New Universe people. You want to work here? You want to work with us? And um, <laughs> as a result, you know, it wasn't like well, you only have ten thousand dollars to do this. No. No, no one ever came into the office and said that there wasn't an inter-office email or inter-office memo. Sorry, I don't right. uh, That said, this is your budget. You know, we would get people to turn in their invoices. They'd do their work and we just sent it out. It wasn't like we were in control of the budgets. But probably that seed money to kickstart it all. They probably said, yeah, for what you're spending, this is it. You're mm -hmm. probably spending more on... Uh, on company dinners and lunches, you know, on, on your, your expense accounts and you're actually doing any work. So yeah, that's probably one of the main reasons. Hmm. Yeah. I know when you, you put them out, like you say, you got three or four months of sales before you even start, or you've got to have made three or four months of books before you even start getting uh, sales back. So that's an investment yeah. right there. I guess. Yeah. And you have to have like six issues ready to launch a title. And if you can't launch the title without six issues in the drawer, I keep referencing that you're doomed because yeah. you have to have them ready so that they're out there timely. You could promote. Like, how do you promote something where you don't have anything? How can you promote the third issue of Night Mask when you don't even have the first issue drawn? Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the things in our 
like when we end our podcast, we're like, hey, what's coming next? And so we'll we'll instead of looking at the actual comic, we'll read what like you know the promotionals said. And for those first couple months, like the story that's like, hey, check out Nightmask number five, and this and this this happens, and we're like, no, that it doesn't actually happen. Like, yeah, it's just hard to stay ahead because all those fillings and such. I imagine so. well, we didn't have a clue. Well, yeah. yeah, we we might have known that that was going to happen, but it didn't. Yeah, but sometimes, though, most of the time, those stories would come back around. Uh, does that kind of work on the end, the tail end of things, too, though, probably? So if, if, yeah. if things are, if you know something's going away, right, but you've still got like a couple months worth of books kind of through the pipeline. Yeah, just get them out, you know, because yeah. you're basically going to burn them, you know, like it's just wasted money. So mm-hmm. it's in the drawer, print it. You know, I don't know if there's any full issues of, any of these titles just sitting there unused. It was just like, write them, draw them, print them. Done. Yeah. Uh, maybe near the end of Justice and all that. I wasn't on those, but no, it was just like, get them done. And there was not a lot of consistency, as you said, like issue five hype for this. It may not have appeared till issue eight because, <laughs> you know, with Archie and others, it just is so unpredictable. And it's embarrassing too, you know. But um, what people don't know is like those catalogs or any of that hype that was written is written two or three months in advance. Yeah, way you have all the best of intentions of delivering that. And that's why I said it's good to have six issues. It's great to have six issues in the drawer. But if you can't promote issue four at the time when it needs to be promoted, you're basically going to leave no picture in that little block of copy on on a big manual of things to order from. It's kind of right. like a shopping from a catalog and there's no picture of the shoes you want. You just sort of sort of like to say, oh, I think I like those shoes, but I don't know what they look like. Mm-hmm. You're going to go to the picture of the shoes that you want to say like. Oh, it's yeah. a no-brainer. But the description is weak. 32 pages of action. Okay. <laughs> Next. <laughs> hey, at least I got the page count right. <laughs> yeah, the world outside your window. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I don't think I'm going to buy this one either. You know, like <laughs> Spider-Man versus the Rhino in the streets of Times Square. Okay, that's intriguing. I may not even need a visual because I already know that Spider-Man's established. I know the Rhino's established. I know they're going to have a, a big fight in the middle of Times Square. Cool. Who's writing it? Who's drawing it? I, I'm going to pre-order that. That's going to sell out. Not like yeah. Nightmare 6. <laughs> Anyone remember who wrote Nightmare 6? I mean, we probably do, but... <laughs> yeah, Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh, man. I'm looking at my list of questions, and I feel like we covered everything. Great. <laughs> Which is awesome. Let's wrap it up, then. Yeah. Yeah, thanks so much for being with us. Hey, well, I, I think it's great what you're doing. And when I saw that listing, I was like, why don't you get me on? You know, because... Mm-hmm. Why not? I mean, I work there. Uh, it's certainly not to take you off the course of what you're doing because whatever you're doing is cool. You know, the fans, like fans of this, people are passionate. You're both grown men with families still talking yeah. about the new universe. <laughs> so shout out to you, you know, and that's that's the awesome part of it. Like when I talk about my Marvel career, I don't list the new universe titles as the first thing I talk about 
Let me let me let me tell you that I say from humble Fair. beginnings. I went on to edit Captain America, Thor, the Fantastic Four, Doctor Strange, Quasar, you name it, Savage yeah. Sword of Conan. That's that's my legacy. But you have to start somewhere. And the new universe is right where I started from at the beginning, which I'm I'm looking back, I'm really proud of because when I saw the Facebook page, I was like, this is awesome. You know, I was there from the beginning. So, you know, thanks, thanks for taking me seriously too. You know, like, you don't mm-hmm. know me. I could be an unhinged lunatic and you may still think that, and that's fine. It's well within your rights. But <laughs> for the, the record, you know, I don't, but the, the moral of the story here is that, you know, it's just great that we're talking about comics that were made over 30 years ago, almost 35 years ago, and still enjoying them and mocking them and you know, appreciating how they were made. So I think that's what I wanted to bring to the table is that as difficult as they were. I certainly have an appreciation for them and and holding back issues in my hand is like, wow, I actually, help, I actually helped make this and yeah. you can't change that. So that, that's what I'm really excited about. And the fact that you folks appreciate it and people who tune into this and shout out to them because they're fans of this. Wow. Imagine that there's still people yeah. out there who haven't forgotten. So it's nice not to be forgotten. So thank you. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I would add more, but I think that's like a perfect ending sounding piece. I appreciate it, gentlemen. Least, you so. summarized yeah. our work completely. Thank you. Well, no, I appreciate it. This this has been a blast for me and hopefully for you too. And enjoy the editing process. And hopefully there's so coherence to this and share out a link when you get a chance. I will have to learn how to bleep out swear words. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry I went over there. But, you know, with Jim Shooter, <laughs> you know, it's really hard not to. Yeah, bleep them out. <laughs> It'll give you something to work on. <laughs>